Hello, and welcome to The Activator, a podcast dedicated to helping you develop confidence and strategies to share your faith. My name is Josh Duell, and on today's episode, I'm going to be continuing on a conversation I started last week with Peyton Jones. Uh, really great, really great conversation last week. So if you missed that, be sure to go back and take a listen. But in part two today, we're going to be talking about some of the shifts that need to take place to put mission back on the forefront. He's going to describe U-shape evangelism and, and really what that means. And we're going to talk about the need for the Holy Spirit in our evangelism and what that could and should look like. And we're going to wrap by talking about how to become people to do more than and talk and read and listen to things about evangelism to people who actually engage in it. So thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the podcast. What do you think are some of the shifts that need to take place in the church right now in order to put mission back on the forefront? Just that, that, that purpose, that mission of God, um, every member active in, in, in their calling and, and, stepping into the good works God prepared before the foundations of the world for them. Yeah. So you, th- nobody will like this answer. Um, it's not, it's not what anyone wants to hear. And again, like I said, I'm definitely not out to win friends and influence people. <laughs> I think the number one thing to please hear me on this. I believe it's biblical and scriptural and right to, for ministers to be set aside and paid. I have no issue with that. It's biblical. You see it. The 12 were set apart and paid. Um, you know, there's no, even even Paul, like when when they got to, to Corinth and Ephesus, Paul was set apart mm-hmm. being supported at that point. So at first in Corinth, what I'm saying is Paul was working on this. But when Timothy, and I can't remember if it was Silvanus, two, two guys, it was Apollos. When, when, when they show up there, he's able to be supported. So there's nothing wrong with that. But I interviewed, and you can check it out. Exponential has a podcast called Reproducing Churches Podcast mm-hmm. with a guy it. named. Yeah. So, and I interviewed Stu Streeter. And on that one, so we took the top 100 um, reproducing churches and we're just interviewing these guys. How are you multiplying so fast? And these guys said, you know, we are dedicated to multiplication, but they took an honest look at themselves and said, we know that we can't fund or really adequately multiply unless we're all bivo or co-vocational. So that's what they did. And they, they all sacrificed their paychecks. Now, again, I have no issue. If you want to be supported, Hugh Halter made the statement. The only reason someone should be set apart is to reproduce themselves. And I do believe that's the biblical model. But Paul was able to slot in and out of working with his hands and being supported full time. But I think we're so married to that. That even even to the point where when somebody plants a church, they will tell me, "Oh, the church the church plant failed." What they meant was it couldn't sustain me and my lifestyle economically. Um, I worked with my hands on the mission field the whole time I was there to do mission, and so I I see this hireling mentality sometimes where it's like, "Man, look, honestly, again, it's not about you; it's about the mission. If we could just get that right and be set free." Like no, no guilt. If you're, if you're being supportive full time, rad, but maybe ask this question. If Paul shadowed me today and it was like, you know, take your apostle to work day. Right. And, and, and Paul's going to come along and shadow me at the end of the day, at the debrief, what's he going to say? Okay, Paul, you saw my day. You watched me. You came to my crib. You, you saw my nine to five. 
coach me. What's he going to say? Okay, so picture that scenario. Maybe maybe fill out a page or two of a journal. Just start writing. What do you imagine the Apostle Paul would say to you about your workday? Number two, on the next part of the paper, imagine if on the next day, Paul says, right, I'm taking over now. You're going to shadow me and you're going to, because this is how Paul trained. You're going to shadow me and you're going to come with me and I'm going to train you. Imagine what that day would look like when you shadow the Apostle Paul. It, it, I guess in a way I'm kind of answering your question really by not, I'm just, I'm, I think if, if leaders would sit down and write a couple pages on that, they would come up with a better answer than I could give you on the podcast. Hmm. That's good. There's lots there. So much. Um, you, you mentioned we're like, we're recording this in the middle of the crisis. Um, the church has had to think they're spreading out. They're trying to put on, um, some video in a lot of ways, people are out there engaging and, and churches are reporting growth, whether or not we're quantifying that right is, is kind of yet to be seen. And we'll see how many show up at the back end of this, um, this present situation aside, how how have you seen churches engage well with evangelism corporately? So the church has been burst outside of the, the four walls that we've been maybe confining it to. Uh, and so we're seeing some of that now. What are some other ways that you've seen the church engage well corporately in evangelism? Yeah, so some of the ways is like for, um, I always think that a church in a crisis ought to be the servant. So I, I believe that the church should take a servant posture. Um, so things like the churches opening up their places for testing centers, like their parking lots or, you know, things like that. Um, anything the church does to serve food banks. Um, you know, I saw churches that in the very beginning were like, hey, we have a bunch of toilet paper here. Yeah, No one's going to be meeting here for months. And, you know, two per household, if you if you got an emergency, come on by, we're here. Anything the church does that serves, you know, I mean, you, you had the fire in Rome, you know, you had the earthquake and the famine in the first century. The church, according to, to early church historians, served during that time mm. and, and kind of really demonstrated to everybody that we are we are a, we are a different people. Like we are a community of people that are here to serve. Like that gospel community was seen in the middle of crisis. Those are some of the stories I've heard. Oh, that's good. That's really good. I, it makes me think back um, to Isaiah, you know, that we'll be called the repairer of the, of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Um, Is that Isaiah, Jeremiah, Isaiah 58. Yeah. Okay. So, um, just that that servant heart that you come in and you actually seek the 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 welfare of the city and what you're in um in in your book reaching the unreached you say the lost world around us won't wait for us to figure it out they'll continue to go to hell while we gather around our campfire telling stories and i'm thinking of the person listening now peyton who might be feeling convicted but has no clue what this could look like uh could you share some stories so personally outside of the the corporate aspect personally the ways you've gotten creative with evangelism through your time maybe in europe or where north america in planting how have you done this creatively yeah so it's fun i mean uh, people don't think they like evangelism that's because 
we've always been, because we know people don't do it, we get very prescriptive and directive about it. This is how you do it. Because we think, oh, maybe they just don't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. So then we tell them how to do it. And we do it as a one size fits all. Let me tell you how to share the gospel. Here's the Romans road, chunk, you know, um, cookie cutter. Here's yeah. this. You must always do this. Here's the four spiritual and, laws. Here's yeah. Yeah. And then people go, oh man, look, I had a telemarketing job once. It was the most awkward thing. I hated it. <laughs> That's how we present the gospel. Like we're telemarketers, cold calling people. And look, I'm not saying there's not a place for that. I mean, I've done open air preaching and you know, like consistently and seeing great fruit um, from that. But but the reality is um, evangelism, uh, let me just kind of tell you some stories. Uh, like, for example, when, when I had a church, this one church started out of a star, uh, Starbucks that was in a Borders Books. And it was because people would see me on the bar making drinks just in Europe and they say, hey, Where's your accent from? America. Why are you here? I'm a missionary. Where's your church? I don't have a church right now. Oh, you know, and I, I was in between. And they go, well, um, what do you think of Da Vinci Code? And I'd be like, you know, I don't know. I haven't read it, but I, I'll read it. Um, start a reading group. And we did. And first night, 30 people turned up. Second night, 40 people turned up. Third night. And I only was going to do it for one night, but they kept begging mm. to do it. And on the third night, this lady goes, hey, why don't we read like, you know, the real gospels, not the Gnostic, but the real gospels. And everyone went, yeah, like they discovered some amazing, wow, we could actually read the gospels. And this is all crowdsourced. I'm just sitting there going, because I quit ministry. That's part of the backstory. I told God, I, I don't want to be in the ministry anymore. I'm tired of crawling all over Christians to reach lost people. And uh, I was like a square peg in a round hole as a pastor trying to do that. And it was, it was nuts. I didn't realize I was apostolic. I was a church planner. There's a reason I wasn't fitting the traditional church planner, uh, church pastor model. And so, uh, but I could go there and I could create community and people would get saved. Like that was my gifting. That was my sweet mm -hmm. spot. So we did that. But anyways, we started seeing these kind of like domino effects with people getting saved, right? Um, it was like a little mini Jesus movement. And what would happen is people come to faith, they get baptized, all the friends, family come, they would get saved there, supernatural. Like, I mean, there, there were some crazy times. But I remember the college students, we had a bunch of college students coming to faith and they're like, hey, you know, how do I how do I reach my friends? I want to, I want to reach them, but you know, I, I don't know what to do. And so I asked them, I go, what do you guys like to do? See, the, this is, I call it U-shaped evangelism. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it's shaped like you, you know, um, it, it, I can't tell you what evangelism looked like. So I asked these kids, I go, what do you like to do? And they go, we like to play a halo. So that tells you it was like 2007 or eight, sure, right? Yeah. Um, halo two. And they go, we like to play halo. And I go, we'll do that then. And they go, what do you mean? And I go, well, oh, look, this is what you do. Throw a Bible study every other week. Have lots of food there. Because um, I had done some student work already. And I was like, but have Halo tournaments. Look, the church will donate a couple Xboxes. And, and we weren't a big church. You know, we were like, hey, we'll invest this in evangelism. So they played four screen, four Xbox, 16 player Halo tournaments. And they did that. And it was... We had these things called cogs. A bunch of cogs turned the big wheel. So we had uh, we would find what people want to do. So we had two cooks or chefs um, 
that were like, hey, you know, we could teach people to cook. Well, the mayor had come to us and said, look, we got all these underage pregnant mothers in this rough part of town. They don't feed their babies right. That's why Jamie Oliver went on this crusade. It was a, it was an epidemic in Britain. So we said, well, cool, we got two cooks. Let's start this cooking class mm-hmm. for, for unwed mothers, you know, teen, unwed teenage teenage mothers. So that's what we did. So with with the Halo thing, what was awesome was, um, you know, you'd be getting your butt kicked at Halo and you would think, man, this is fun. I want to come again next week. They'd be like, no, it's every other week because next week we got a Bible study. But that guy kicked your butt tonight. He's teaching it next week. You're welcome to come. And that that group just it was on fire. I mean, some of those guys now are in ministry and um, just so many of them came to faith mm. and it was, it was beautiful. So finding, finding opportunities in what we're already doing, kind of the everyday events and then combining the gospel into that. So to breaking apart the division, um, that segregation of church life and, and my life, my private life and finding a way to integrate the two and even build church life around that. Yeah, like when things open back up, like right now in community groups online, there's so much. Up. Like we're in the age of community, like like never before. And you just harness that. Hmm. You just you just get involved. You don't be creepy. Like I used to be a, a psych nurse. And when I was um, doing drug rehab and stuff, um, you could tell the Christians were like, I'm just coming to group meeting because I'm going to share the gospel. And they didn't get taken seriously. But if people were there working the 12 steps and they were just there because they they first were like, I just need this. But, you know, occasionally the gospel would come out. Those people lead people to Jesus. Right. And I think it's like that a lot in our types of community engagement is enter the rhythms that are there. And if there's not a rhythm, if you can't find the man of peace, um, be the be the man of peace or be the woman of peace, be the person of peace. And, and I've, I've found that over the years, sometimes the person of peace is there. Um, I, I, I moved, I'm, I'm out on my street right now. I'm looking at a house that he's moved now, but uh, my neighbor came to faith. Very first time I, I, I ever saw him, he saw me moving in. He comes with two beer bottles, holding them up. And he says, I come bringing beer. And, and, and I said, oh, cool, man. I want your goes, neighbor. Hey, <laughs> yeah, he says, I'm Tim. And uh, he was like a Viking. And we, we, we actually had a group called the Vikings um, that lived behind me. But, you know, he, he came over and we, we, we sat there and we had a beer and he, we got to talking. As I'm, as I'm talking with him, I have a vision of him broken down, crying, accepting Jesus. Mm. That happened about a year later. Wow. And, and I didn't know it was, it was the weirdest thing. Man. I was like, this, you know, is Aaron gone? And I was like, oh, wow, what, what was that, you know? But I could see him coming to faith. Um, that doesn't happen all the time. I love this. But um, you know, What you're bringing up is something that comes up in your writing a bunch. Uh, and in, uh, I'm thinking of reaching the unreached, becoming readers of the lost art. Um, you mentioned in there the need for the spirit and the empowerment portion of this. You don't just lay out a methodology or an apologetic approach. You, you talk at great lengths about the importance of surrendering uh, ourselves in, in entirety. And, and to kind of neatly, shortly paraphrase a really great section in your book, uh, you, you say, in essence, you know, with separation and consecration comes combustion. So in other words, our, our missional effectiveness isn't because of our methodology, 
but how much the spirit possesses us. And I love this. It's not something that's usually covered in a book on evangelism. And so just so that we're not only tossing punches at those who are failing to engage in evangelism, um, how do you see people engaging in, in evangelism without this crucial step of that, that spirit ledness, that spirit sensitivity, kind of being aware, like you were saying with your, um, your great neighbor, Tim there. How do I see him engaging without it? Yeah, how do you see like our, our culture presently, um, maybe where we are engaging in evangelism, but going about it just a little clunky or, tr- or teaching it a little too form- formaically? Facebook. <laughs> Facebook. Yeah, pantless evangelism, I call it. When you can evangelize without yeah. your pants on, I think you're in a dangerous place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I I definitely see it. It's... Um, it's kind of like a, a, a sales technique, you know, um, funny enough, the church growth movement was based on all that. Um, it was based on scientific principles. It was based on marketing principles and, you know, it, it, it worked and it was very pragmatic, but it didn't take the spirit into account. And, and I, I kind of, I know this is going to sound really weird, but I always tell people if you met, if you met the apostle Paul, you probably wouldn't like him. And people are like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, if you met Wesley, you would, you definitely would like him. I mean, Wesley says the things that Paul says, apostolics tend to say things that people don't like. So like, if you read Romans 15, Paul's like, look, you know, uh, these idle talkers, you know, I'm not going to boast about this, except what God accomplished through me. And, and Paul's like this, he was a doer. And he, he didn't like talkers, right? But but the thing about doers in the kingdom is they've usually been broken, right? They're not, it's not like I do more than any of you. Paul says it, he says, I worked harder than any of you. Like he says things, you can't say that, Paul, you know? Um, when he says that Jerusalem to Illyricum, he's saying, I won't boast in anything, save what God's accomplished through me. That from Jerusalem to Illyricum, you're like, if you said that at a conference, Paul, I'd never invite you back because it would leave a bad taste. However, the difference with Paul was he did everything that he said he did. He wasn't boasting in it. He just is stating fact. And people who are talkers, that rubs them the wrong way. But when a doer gets around a doer, they're speaking the same language and they know this is not pride because we have, <laughs> we were broken. And I, and, and this is kind of the answer to your question. I know it seems like I'm not answering it for somebody to rely on the spirit. There's usually been a long period of backing us into a corner, stripping us of all self-reliance and everything we depended upon all of our methods, all of our, our, our natural giftings, our, our, our own cleverness. There's, there's a way where it all gets, it's like going through the narrow gate. You know, everything just gets squeezed off of you. Um, and, and it's like David, right? Like God broke that poor kid, you know, to make him the man after God's heart. Like I think doers, they, 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 in the kingdom. And that's why I keep saying, cause you got doers in the business world, entrepreneurs, and we celebrate that. And I, I'm not comfortable with that term being used for, for apostles, because I don't think it's the same. Um, the, 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 in the spirit, in, in the kingdom, when 
you have depended on the spirit, it's because you've had a thorn in the flesh at some point. You've had some brokenness. You've had beatings and shipwrecks and been hungry and naked. And somehow in all of that, you've, you've been stripped of everything else. As the saying goes, God's not, uh, he doesn't become everything you want until he's all you have. Like, 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 so I, I guess what I'm saying is the re, the reliance on the Holy Spirit is something that's kind of it's it's hard won mm-hmm. through experience and and being broken. I, I don't know how else to to explain it other than just to say that. Um, but but a, a, a leader or someone who hears this and goes, I want that that just that heart of saying. I don't want to learn the hard way. <laughs> I don't want to be broken. I want to fall on the rock. I don't want the rock to fall on me. You know, um, that right there, that heart, like David, you know, from the beginning, that, that is precious and you will still have breaking. You will still be broken. And I, I always think of the process of ministry until things really start to pop. And I don't mean numbers. I don't mean crowds. I know. I just mean till like you're saying, like, to where you have relied it, you you are seeing the Holy Spirit's power because you were you finally learned. I call that the long defeat, right? That's what ministry. My first years of ministry were the long defeat. It was me at 23 years old thinking I had the world by the tail. I remember people saying Peyton Jones is going to be the next you know uh, guy on the radio that people are talking about. Like people in my church would say that, and 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 I liked it. You know, (laughs) there had to come a point where it was like, no, you know, I want to be John the Baptist. I want to I want to proclaim the way I want to show the way and I want to get out of the way. And that's Alistair Begg, by the way. That was his quote. I want that ministry. I must decrease. He must increase. And that breaking is it's the most precious thing. But it's the thing we hate. Like evangelism, we've been talking about. We run from it because it's hard. And to, to just wrap this up, I know I'm preaching now, but, you know, the number one quality that Paul gives to all of his fellow workers in the New Testament, the one that you hear him say, and this is in my book, is endurance, endurance, endurance. The number one quality for anybody who's going to serve God yeah. is endurance. Yeah. Early on in ministry, uh, one of my mentors, he just said, like, half of ministry is going to be showing up every day, just getting yeah. up and showing up tomorrow. And uh, that, that, that's been um, comforting to me. I think that's good wisdom, too, from you. Um, Peyton, what would you say to that, to that pastor listening? And maybe, maybe just taking over a church, wanting to catalyze, bring some change, reform, get his people outside the four walls, but maybe isn't feeling super confident, sharing his own faith, uh, wants to begin to to lead his church faithfully in this new direction, um, actually see conversion growth, not just sheep shuffling. How would you recommend that they practically turn this corner? So, um, you know, that, that really, to be honest, is reaching the unreached. That's the whole message of that book is exactly that. Like, how do I go from being someone who reads about these things to someone who does them? And, and, and that's my heart because when I first went to write that book, um, I pitched something very similar, but perhaps not as honest. Cause I, I told, uh, my editor, like, look, I, there's this, 
I mean, I've got stories because they're like, we want your stories, man. You don't tell your stories when you go speak. And I'm like, yeah, I don't like that. You know, I don't like doing that. And they're like, yeah, but so anyways, I'm pitching this book. And at one point I said, look, this is the heart behind it. I wasn't that dude. I'm not Paul. And I'm not like Paul naturally. Like I said, I'm an introvert. And I said, but there's a process by which like the Holy Spirit's gentle. If you take one step, one baby step out towards mission and trust, God will meet you. Mm. He's gentle. Like he won't just come on, you scumbag. Like if you've been listening and I'm saying some, some things, you're like, man, it's too hard, man. These are hard things. Who can receive this? And you're like, look, that's not how it happened in my life. Mm. There would be these little inklings of the Holy Spirit and he would do something and I would respond. And he would do a little something more and I'd respond. And so I was sharing with the editor that day. I go, look, I, I'm not that dude, but there was a process where God made me into something I wasn't. Like he took Simon and made him into Peter. Like he took Saul and made him into Paul. And I can't take any credit, you know, like where Paul goes, I am what I am by the grace of God. That's very real to me mm -hmm. because I'm not, I, you hear this and this is what I'm saying. Ap apostolics. You don't like them because they say things like that. And you go, oh, you can't say that. But I'm not, it's not, I'm not proud of, of this. It is a gift and it is what God has put there. But I know who I am deep down. I know that I'm the guy who, like Paul, at the end of every epistle has to say, <laughs> and lastly, pray for me, brothers, that I'd be given boldness. I'm still a man of flesh and blood. And that's all of us. And so uh, when I said to the, to the editor, he goes, that's the book I want to publish. I want to publish a book that's for everybody who realizes you may not be that dude. You may be reading books about J. Hudson Taylor, but if you let the Holy Spirit, he'll make you into mm -hmm. A.J. Hudson Taylor. And that's true of all of us. Oh, it's so good. So good. Um, Peyton, uh, bef before we go, I got a couple more questions I want to ask you. I'd love, would you share, who's the last person you shared your faith with? <laughs> It was, oh, it was the guy, um, uh, he dropped off, that, that's what I was saying, I have no business sharing. My book was due um, last week, and I ended up, um, this guy came to pick up and haul away all this dirt, and I just started talking to him, because I, I mentioned something about, I, you know, I, I got a book, and he said, oh, what do you write? <laughs> and, uh, and, and we just sat there talking. And it just, it went to beautiful places. And um, yeah, so, and he'll be back. You know, I didn't say, are you ready to get on your knees right now and receive Jesus? I didn't do that. But I was able to um, to actually, uh, my, my neighbors are coming across the street. Oh, uh-oh, hold on. Sorry, my neighbors are, <laughs> do you edit this? <laughs> we can edit it, yeah, but maybe okay, we won't. Right. This is fun. Hey, I'm I'm on a podcast. I'm getting interviewed, but I'll come over and look later. Awesome. My neighbors got chickens. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> like backyard chickens. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's like a thing on our street. It sounds eccentric. You got Vikings behind you, a beer-toting neighbor, and some chicken farmers. Man, it's it's fantastic. Old class surfing. <laughs> Maybe out of that, the when you're sharing your faith with people, how, how does this 
come up for you? I mean, some people feel like they're, they're coming in with that sales pitch. They're that, you know, cold calling and trying to like market a product. How do you go about yourself initiating these conversations? How do they come about? Yeah, it's weird. I, I just kind of throw teasers out there like, and see if they bite kind of like, uh, I don't push anything. I relax into evangelism. If you know, I, I read something about, um, special forces guys that, um, if you ever read that book by Tim Ferriss, tools of the Titans, mm. he interviews a bunch of different guys. And there's towards the end of the book, I think the, the guy's last name is Jurgen. He interviews that guy. That guy says that special forces, cause he's been on, you know, trips with them, what have you. He says, as soon as the, the issue is given that they're either going to be attacked and they need to get ready, um, he goes, they relax and their cortisol levels go down. And so their heightened sense of anxiety is when they don't know what's going to happen next. But because at that moment, they, they everything decompresses and they go kind of quiet and they get methodical and they just start doing their thing. Um, they start stacking sandbags or they start cleaning the gun or they start, they get ready because they know now this is, this is what I do. Well, for me, it's different. For me, it's more, I relax into the Holy Spirit because this is his time now, mm. right? It's not my time. Yeah. It's his time. And I know he's got this. So I find when I'm in an evangelistic situation, I almost am just like, oh, hey, God, you're here. You know, like I sense him and I sense his presence. And I think at other times, other people can sense it too. And so I just relax into the spirit. That, that's the best way. So they more guide the conversation than I do, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, no, it's good. I find myself responding to them with what I feel the spirit gives me. That's good. This has been such a good conversation. So many uh, gold bars, um, lots of points to ponder and think through. Um, I, I've benefited greatly from your work. I'd love people who, who, who now are going, Oh man, I want to hear more from this guy. Where could they find you? Where could a listener kind of see what you're up to? When's your next book coming? So my, my website is called ministry ninja.com ministry ninja.com. Okay. Ministry ninja. And, um, and what, what was funny is it used to be something to do with, um, church planning, which it still very much is, but, um, we found people that were just listening to the podcast that weren't church planners. So we kind of, I broaden out some of my, what I can offer. So it's not just to church planners, but also I run a network called the new breed network. Um, so you can go to newbreednetwork.org for that. Um, you can follow me on various podcasts, church planner podcasts, um, uh, hardcore church planning ministry ninja, and now the exponential reproducing churches podcast. Um, so those would be four podcasts. Um, but other than that, that's it. You know, um, my, my next book, my two books are church zero and reaching the unreached. And then my next book, church plantology will hit in spring 2021. Awesome. Well, um, thanks again for your time. Um, yeah, you can, I would highly commend going and finding some of Peyton's books. Um, they are fantastic. You can find them all on Google. Lots of great resources. His podcasts are a wealth of wisdom as well. And Peyton, maybe we can reconnect when the new book comes out. I'm looking forward to reading it. And you, For sure. you shared some great uh, little kind of nuggets from that today. And I'm looking forward to reading it. So, 
one podcaster to another, brother. You're really good at this. So I enjoy This is one of the most enjoyable podcasts I've had. You asked some great questions. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's been a fun time. Well, thanks again for tuning into the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to hit subscribe and go leave a comment on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find us. And we've got new great content coming out every week. So be sure to come back next week. I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Gordon Nickel. Um, He's a Christian who has a PhD in Quranic studies. And we're going to be talking about how to engage Muslims with the gospel. He's written so many great books on the topic. Um, Most recently, a book by Zondervan called A Christian Commentary on the Quran. And uh, it's an amazing resource. It's going to bless the church for uh, years, decades, probably generations to come. And I know our conversation will really lift the roof off and, and, and help to understand, better understand our Muslim co-workers and neighbors, but also how to engage in an effective way, um, our, our friends and, and neighbors and co-workers who practice Islamic faith with the gospel. So don't miss this one. I look forward to seeing you again next week.